listening to the Save the Marriage podcast. Your marriage can be saved and strengthened if you have the right information. Join Dr. Lee Bauckham as he explores ways for you to improve your relationship and your life, starting right now. Social scientists are quick to point out the fact that we do not do a good job of deciding what is risk. In other words, risk management and risk assessment aren't things that we're really good at. You can probably think of some common examples of that. Uh, I had a, a, a colleague one time that would not fly. He always decided to drive. And interestingly, he had to go to a conference every year that was almost all the way across the country. And instead of flying, he always decided to drive out and take several days driving out and several days driving back. I had to go to the same conference. I took a flight. His reason for not flying was because he felt like flying was unsafe. And I never could get him to understand that the drive for me to the airport was the riskiest part of the process. And instead, he was multiplying his threat by going across the country. But the fact was, somewhere in his mind, he assessed the fact that the plane was at a higher risk than if he just drove out, so he chose to drive out. Did that for years. Now, that's just one example. We often make some choices in life that are a little more risky than we recognize, and we avoid doing safe things because we assess them as being unsafe. You might be wondering at this point what that has to do with marriage. Well, today I want to talk about how I often see a crisis come up into a relationship because the person who was in the relationship didn't see the risk coming, didn't assess how things had moved. So I call this the blah, 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 bang process of a marriage crisis. And by the way, I didn't come up with that. I read about the fact that that's how we do crises. There was an interview I was listening to, and the person said, you know, we tend to miss the movements along the way that are moving us towards something bad until we, we've missed it, and, and it explodes, and there's all this background noise. And the fact is that all of us only have so much bandwidth to do that risk assessment. The second fact is that we humans uh, tend to deal with what's right in front of us in the moment. The third thing is that we humans are habitual. We keep doing those same things. And so part of the process is that there's often this background noise that's going on in a relationship that suddenly erupts into a crisis. And then we don't know how we got there. So many times I've had people come and say, you know, I didn't know we had problems. I didn't know my spouse was unhappy. I didn't know that we were headed towards divorce. I didn't know we were headed towards separation. I didn't know we had any big problems at all. Most people in reflection will say, oh, sure, I knew we weren't as connected as we need to be. And oh, sure, I know we weren't uh, paying attention to each other. Or oh, sure, I knew that we were busy with other things, but I never saw this coming. As we start thinking back, though, there's often... In the midst of all the blah, blah, blah of life, a spouse saying, hey, things aren't going right. So there's a process that kind of happens, as I've noticed. And the first thing is that there's some discontent. Sometimes it's on one person's mind and sometimes it's on both people's mind, but there's a discontent in the relationship. And so often a spouse will say, hey, you know what? I'm really not feeling that happy with where we are right now. That's the first level. There's feedback there, but... Most of the times, a person thinks that 
this will pass. You know, if I just keep on going forward, this will pass. That my spouse will feel better about things. That maybe it'll blow over. That's the first blah. Then along comes some frustration. At this point, it's not just a little discontent, but there's an outward push. The frustration begins to build. And frustration is an interesting piece because when we're frustrated, there's a level of anger to that, but we don't recognize it yet. We just kind of feel boxed in and like we can't make progress. And so frustration is the beginning edge of anger. So a spouse might say, you know, I'm really frustrated that we are not connecting, or I'm frustrated that we aren't going, getting anywhere. Or, I am frustrated with the relationship. I'm not really happy here. After the frustration, we get to that real level of anger. The difference between frustration and anger is the expression. Frustration has anger within it, but anger is when we're beyond that and suddenly the other person is able to say, I'm angry. Or maybe you're just watching the angry actions of a spouse. It's as if there's a new phase that's been crossed into from just kind of that agitation to anger that begins to emerge and angry actions and biting back and angry words and arguments that don't seem to go anywhere. And yet nothing really changes along the way. A lot of times, as people have told me, they thought something was up with their spouse. They didn't recognize it was a relationship issue. They just figured it was a problem the spouse was having. So after anger comes resentment. Now understand that anger is a secondary emotion. Anger is really caused when we feel hurt or threatened, when we feel some fear of that, maybe that we're not going to get the love we want or we're not going to get the attention we thought we deserved or that maybe things aren't going the way we thought they should go. So there's some fear and threat already in that when the anger begins to emerge. Anger is the outward expression of that hurt anger or the hurt and fear and threat. But after the anger is around for a while, it begins to seethe through and becomes resentment. Resentment is a little tougher to deal with in anger because resentment also often has some level of, of um, giving up. The person is not at the point of wanting to push anymore. So a lot of times people have both the angry side of resentment and the fact that they don't think anything can, can progress, so they kind of give up. Resentment's a little bit harder because the energy of anger kind of disappears. And in the process of losing the energy of anger, it's harder to get a response. A lot of times resentment includes, I don't care. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you change at all. I'm so tired of this. Which leads to the last point in this process, which is disconnection. At that point, the other person gives up, begins to connect in other places, begins to move away from that relationship and invest in other areas. The fact is that we humans all need a level of connection. We all crave that connection. And if we can't get it one place, we often seek it somewhere else. So as we get to that point of resentment, many people decide to look elsewhere for affection, whether it's from an affair or from kids or from uh, other people, and they find other places to pull in that connection that they're missing in the relationship. So what started out as a small level of discontent, the person missed the signs along the way. So discontent flowed to frustration, which flowed to anger, which led to resentment, which finally leads to disconnection. And at every level, 
it's harder and harder to rebuild. All the blah, blah, blahs are opening points to move in a different direction. But each blah is a little louder, a little more desperate. Until bang, the crisis is there and the person says, I'm done. Sometimes the bang is, we've got to get to a change. We've got to do these things. And so a lot of times you hear people along the way saying things like, we're not where we need to be. I'm not happy with this relationship. We need to see a therapist. We need to make a change. You need to treat me differently. And along the way, they're spiraling down if the blah, blah, blahs aren't heard as cries for connection. So as those uh, passages keep passing, the climb is harder because it's an acceleration downhill towards disconnection. So what was missed? So there's several ways that we miss those signs. That, and, and this is true for all of us. Many times all of us miss the little signs along the way. The first one that we miss was didn't hear. It's possible that un- communication was unclear in this process, either by the person sending the communication or the person receiving the communication. It's somewhere in there the communication was unclear, though. They didn't understand the implications of that. So the first way that the blahs happen is we didn't hear a spouse. Now, how you get beyond that is more important, but to understand that sometimes we just didn't hear. Maybe you were busy with other things or had other things going on and you just weren't available to hear a spouse, or maybe the spouse wasn't clear. Sometimes we aren't the best at communicating our feelings. Humans sometimes have bad examples as we're growing up of how we express those emotions. And so we're not clear with a spouse about what's bothering us, and we're not clear with the spouse about understanding that. Which leads to the second myth, which is don't understand. Sometimes it's you just have no idea what the spouse was trying to talk about. Just no idea because that's not a reference point. For instance, maybe your spouse came from a very affectionate family and you came from a not-so-affectionate family. Or vice versa. And so the level of affection was off for each of you. Maybe overwhelming to one or too little for the other. And so in the process, you don't quite understand what's being asked for or what's being um, expected by that other person. Sometimes it's our own dynamics that limit that understanding. Sometimes it's the understanding of a spouse and trying to to get that across, uh, communicate across that, which often leads to defensive responses. And this is the third miss we make. A defensive response is none of us like to be wrong. And so when a spouse says, I'm not happy, many people take that as I've done something wrong and don't want to accept it. Now, there are times when one person has done something wrong, but many times the starting point is that the couple's not operating together well. Many times when a couple comes in and they say, you know, one says, I'm just not happy, it's an easy resolution between the couple because they both want to get to a different place and they can see it in terms of the relationship. But sometimes we all have a defensive spot where we just don't want to be wrong one more time or don't want to feel incompetent or don't want to feel like it's our fault. And so we refuse to make a shift, which leads to what happens in the myth number four, which is that we make first order changes. Maybe a spouse says, I need you to do this differently. And instead of figuring out why you're doing that action, you just try to change the action. Instead of trying to get to the heart of it, 
you try to make some shift along the way. The equivalent of this is somebody trying to uh, make a shift in their health. They might make some habitual changes, but they're not looking for the underlying issues at hand. And because of that, they drift back to their habits. So many times people decide that they want to be in better shape or have better health or eat better or get to a, a more ideal weight, but they don't really look for the underlying reasons of why they're where they are. And so they only make short-term changes. How many people join the gym the first of the year only to fall out of the habit two, three weeks in because they never made a substantial, what, what therapists call second order change to their life? They didn't make a real change. They tried to change some, some habit, some way of behaving rather than looking for the underlying dynamic and figuring that out. And so in the process, a spouse makes a request that something has to change. A spouse makes that change for a short amount of time and then they drift right back to the old pattern. Whenever a spouse or a couple tries to change some behavior between them and they drift right back to that old behavior, they haven't made a second order change, the deeper change that addresses the dynamics. And so many times uh, people make a change because it's being demanded, but they don't really understand what's behind that, nor do they really care to make that change. And so when the pressure's off, when the heat's down, when things are getting back a little bit better, they tend to drift back to their starting point, which isn't really the starting point. It puts you even lower. And then there's the fifth miss, which is a refusal. Sometimes people refuse to change, even though they understand what their spouse is saying, and they understand what their spouse is wanting, and they understand all the dynamics behind it, but they feel like they're not getting what they want, so they're not going to give the spouse what they want. In other words, if I'm not getting what I want out of this relationship, I'm sure not going to give you what you want out of the relationship. And so the blah, blah, blah tends to be putting the fingers in the ear and refusing to even listen. So what is the remedy to that? The first thing I want to consider is the fact that feedback from somebody is always free coaching. It may not be right, but it's good free coaching. That term came to me from one of my coaches who said that uh, they gotten some feedback from a client who was upset about the process and decided to listen in and get some free coaching from it. Instead of being defensive, instead of denying that there is an issue, to say, what's true about this? Even if the truth is in the perception the person had, not the reality between them. If somebody is feeling something, is, is perceiving a spouse in a certain way, there is a question to ask of why is that feeling there? So to take feedback in as free coaching allows us all to grow and question how we're being perceived and how we actually are being. Sometimes a spouse tells us the truth that we don't want to hear. That's free coaching. Sometimes a spouse tells us how they're perceiving things. That's still free coaching. But what we can do with that next is move to the second remedy, Apologies. I think that one of the most fundamental pieces of reparation in a relationship is being able to take responsibility for where you've fallen short, to claim it, and to apologize for it. So 
doing an apology letter is a fundamental part of my process. In fact, I talk about that and train the VIP members on how to do that apology letter so it's most effective. It's important, though, for us all to be aware of the places where we need to make an apology, that we need to follow through and make sure the other person understands that we are sorry for what we've done. And we want to make a difference, which leads to the third level of the remedy. I don't believe an apology truly exists unless we take that next step of change. The third remedy is change. Change being serious, real, and significant. That we take it seriously that we need to change something in our life. That we make it concrete, something real that's going to be there and it's significant. Not just something that we wipe under the rug, but if a spouse brings something up, it's important enough for us to make it a significant change. When we apologize and we don't make a change, we don't really mean the apology. We're just trying to get out of trouble. When we really are apologetic for something, sorry for something that's happened, we want to make that change. And that's an important part of the remedy, which allows us to go to the fourth level of the repair work. That fourth level, that fourth remedy is repair work in the relationship. How can I rebuild the connection? How can I change who I've been? And that brings us to those three C's that I talk about, the three areas that require change. We have to uh, create a connection with our spouse. We have to change ourselves and we have to create a new path. So connection, change, and creation. Those three pieces are the parts of the puzzle. When I talk about the three simple steps to saving your marriage, that is the title of one of my books, those three simple steps, not easy steps, but simple steps. One is to connect with your spouse. Two, to change yourself, to find some places where you need to grow and and, and make some changes. And three is to create that new path. So in that process, we're doing the repair work. That's part of what I did in the creation of the Save the Marriage system. It's basically laying out a system of how you repair the relationship. Another way of looking at that is Gary Chapman's idea of the love languages. When we decide that we need to speak the language of our spouse, that love language that they have, the one that most dearly speaks to them of love, then we have also begun to do the repair work. When we ask the question, how do you most want to be loved? Not necessarily to our spouse, but in our understanding. When we're asking the question, how can I love my spouse in a way that makes the most sense to them? We're doing that repair work. If you find yourself at the place where you realize that you're in that process, blah, 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 bang. Maybe it's even before the bang, but you're realizing that the blahs are getting really loud. It's important to step back now and find some ways of moving through the remedies to get to where you need to be. Listen to that feedback. Make your apologies. Make your changes, and make sure you work on the repair work. If you need help with that, I would love it for you to grab my Save the Marriage system. It's a fundamental piece of how you can work through that repair work. In fact, it'll guide you through how to make the changes. It'll guide you through all the process to get back to where you need to. This is a rebuilding process, and we can build together in that. Right now, if you buy the Save the Marriage system at savethemarriage.com, I also will have one of my coaches contact you to get you started. 
Not only that, but if you take me up on it while you're going through that, I give you a free week of that VIP training so you can get access to the tools and training to make sure that you're making those important first steps and then the important second steps and then the important third steps so that you're moving back up towards where you want to be. Our task here is to create the marriage that you would want, not that just you would want, but that both of you would treasure and hold on to. If you're ready for that, go to savethemarriage.com and grab the system. This is Lee Balkum wishing you the best as you work to save your marriage. You've been listening to Save the Marriage Podcast. For more information and help, please visit us at savethemarriage.com.